There is, in all things, a pattern that is part of our universe. It has symmetry, elegance, and grace. Those qualities you find always in that which the true artist captures. You can find it in the turning of the seasons, in the way the sand trails along the ridge, in the branch clusters of the creosote bush, or the pattern of its leaves. We try to copy these patterns in our lives and our society, seeking the rhythms, the dances, the forms that comfort. Yet it is possible to see peril in the finding of ultimate perfection. It is clear that the ultimate pattern contains its own fixity. In such perfection, all things move towards death. From The Collected Sayings of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Hey, Evan, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay today. You, uh... It's an okay day. I just heard that you found a Muhadib in your house. I did. I found a, I found a Muhadib in my house. Well, I mean, I know it, was, it wasn't a mouse, but it was like more, more like a rat. Oh, it was a rat. It was a rat. But with the way the Fremen talk about stuff, I figured they would see a rat and call it a mouse, you know, because they're tough like that. I'm not tough like that. I ran away from the mouse and hurt myself in the process. That's the kind of day I've been having. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, at least we're going to end our day with some Dune. And you know what? That, that, this makes me happy. Oh, yeah. Because this chapter is not a Harkonnen chapter. Like it last is time. not a Harkonnen chapter, which is very exciting to me. It's really exciting. Okay, first, first things, we're, let's talk about this quote. I really enjoy this quote. It's got this kind of poetic musings, right? Collected sayings of Muhadib. Um, and in this chapter, we get a flashback from Jessica kind of talking to Paul and she's she's not liking how much all the Fremen are taking in everything he is saying. Right. Right. And, and <laughs> because I mean he's tripping out on these things. He doesn't in this chapter he doesn't know what's happening. He's trying to still figure it out. I feel like one of this quote is still that thing. He's like saying something beautiful like the universe has symmetry and elegance and grace. And we can find all these patterns. We want to mimic that in our lives, but that ultimate perfection still leads to death. Yeah, it sounds like a like a wizened old Muhadib when he has time to sit around the CH drinking spice lemonade and thinking about stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, he definitely wants to sit around. He wants to do nothing. At this right. point, he well, he's just trying to figure out his prescience and figure out his inner eye, what's happening. And he never has time for that. He's off on raids and doing different things and constantly moving. Oh, I want some rest for him in these two years. Yeah, that but, would be know. nice. Okay, so we ask at the beginning of our show, now our show, we do the uh, favorite part of Dune. You can email us, readingdune at gmail.com, reading... Send us in your favorite moments of Dune. And we have a bunch of good ones coming. So feel free, type in that little email, readingdune, gmail.com. Do like an audio thing. 
send it in to us so we can just play it on the show so I don't have to read your email, right. you know, or video. We could do all the different stuff. But this is a the latest email I got from Tyler. He says, at the time of the podcast, when he first emailed us, we weren't doing this this thing we do now where we were like, tell us your favorite part of Dude. So he's all caught up and he just wants to say what his favorite part is. So Tyler, we hear you and thank you. Um, He says that his favorite part is the water of life ceremony. That's fair. Because it it describes like a psychedelic experience. Um, He says, Tyler says, I've been lucky enough to be part of research into psilocybin's effects on depression and other things. And researchers believe that it's one of the most useful elements for participants in reaching a non-dual state so they can be connected to the world and others. And he thinks that Jessica and Paul had this kind of effect in droves as they like, as Paul takes some of the spice as Jessica has to do the thing for the water of life. You have this trippy experience. Right, right, right. Ty- Tyler suggested that uh, all of our leaders um, should do some of this so they could be enlightened, which you know what? Okay. I would not be. I would not be opposed to. That um, would take some serious legislation, I think, but just, you know, interesting thought. First day of office, it's the ritual. Got to do some mushrooms. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler thinks he's, he's curious if um, Herbert has familiar, familiarized himself with psychedelics or, you know, reading or versus actual experience prior to writing right. Dune. And this is, my personal opinion. We have no idea if this is fact or not. Caleb thinks that 100% Frank had did some sort of psychedelic when he right. was in, when he was writing this or when he was in Nam or when he was doing something. The way you yeah. read it and the way it comes off, it As it feels someone like it. with like not a ton of experience with that world, but who has had some experience with that world. I don't know if anyone who had no experience with that world would be able to describe that world the way that Frank Herbert describes it. You know, uh, he's pretty spot on with a lot of the, the, the way he explains these like crazy kind of psychedelic experiences. The ins and the outs and the modes of consciousness yeah. and the waves and the mountains and the valleys. Yeah. All the different stuff. Um, so speaking of tripping, this chapter, we start with Paul tripping. Wow, wow, wow. So in this, in this chapter, we see Paul gets caught in visions. Here's three things that happen. He gets caught in visions. Mm-hmm. He's a convo with, um, Cheney where he tries to distract himself. And then the third one is where he eventually calls the maker to ride it. And yes. that is and that is the first time where he has to be truly present. Yes. Okay. 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 Right off the bat, it may have been my state of mind from the day that I've had today, but when I started reading, I was kind of just like, what is happening? Where where are we actually? What is right now? What is somewhere else? What you know, like I was I was a little confused what was happening at the beginning of this chapter. And then it kind of like levels out. But I, I still didn't know if what we were reading was a memory or if it was a future memory, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. And I think you're the reader is supposed to feel what Paul is feeling in this moment of this. Where is the present? Okay. We, we honestly, we know that this is probably two years in the future. Um, yeah. We've had our time with the Harkonnens, but we have no idea what's happening to Paul. And we meet Paul in his dream state, mm-hmm. in his prescient visions. And so, right. All right. So let's start the chapter. We were in the Harkonnens, right? We move up to prime, we zoom across space. We see the planet of Arrakis getting bigger and bigger. And when the title card comes up, Arrakis. The desert planet, also known as Dune, it zooms in on these oceans of sand, and you zoom in, and you and it's right before dawn. It's like the pre-dawn is kind of like happening, and we find Paul sitting in a tent, stuck in a prescient spice trance, unable to find where he is in time. Okay, so where he actually is is in the tent. With Johnny and the maker riding situation is about to happen. Like that's right. That's right now in reality. Yes. Okay. Dope. Got it. Yeah. That's where we're at. But before he wakes up, he has four different visions of what's what's happened over the last two years. So we're going to get like a montage scene. We're going to like recap in the last two years of Dune, this is what's happened. Um, Previously on Dune. <laughs> and during this time, Paul is trying to find an anchor in yeah. the lines of time to find the here and now. So it's like he's lost in these hallways of time. And he's just like, wait, I need to find where I am. And I could get lost in here forever if I don't find out where I am here and now. Yikes. So the first vision is that he knew that Chani had prepared a meal for him. Or maybe Chani was in the deep south in these new secret CH strongholds with their baby son, Leto Dose. Leto Dose. <laughs> yes. So we know. Segundo. Yeah, we know that, you know, we have, they've made a baby. Good for him. I'm glad he got it in. Made some procreation. But no, Alia and his mother was in the south. Or maybe was Alia yet born? So he's trying to figure out where he is in time. We know that Alia is at least two years old by this point, but he's still trying to figure out where he is. Right. The second vision he gets is Paul um, remembers a raid to recover the water from the dead on Arakeen, where he finds the remains of his father's skull in a funeral pyre. Or wait, was that something that was yet to be he can't figure it out personally caleb thinks that this is this is a prescient memory this is yet to happen this is a future moment okay. because they're recovering the dead from the battle of arakeen there has been no battle yet besides the big one where the harkonnens wiped them all out so gotcha. he probably hasn't been back yet cool this third one third vision um it's Hera intruding on a, on him in his apartment. Classic Hera. Saying there was a fight in the CH corridor. But wait, this was before the women and children went south. And then Hera reported that Chani just killed someone. And Paul is trying to remember, no, this was real. This actually happened. This is not subject to change because the future right. can change a bunch. Past doesn't change. Right. 
Paul remembers rushing out to find Channy, standing beautiful in blue in a wraparound, but she's sheathing her Chris knife. In the distance, a huddled group had been hurrying away down the corridor. Paul remembered telling himself, you always know when they're carrying a body. Which I found interesting because the last, in the last two chapters, we, there's a very big image of the band noting the guard carrying the body and not liking it. So there's, I think we're supposed to see the Baron and Paul here and like they're both death is surrounding them. Man. Constantly. So evidently someone had come to challenge Paul to test him, kind of like Jameis did. But instead of the man getting close, Chani killed him. Just straight up, just killed him. Paul protests, don't do this. But Chani only jokes that if she didn't kill him, Hara would have. Paul had trained her in the weirding ways, so this fool was not worth to disturb Muhadib's meditations. And Chani's not a child, so she knows how to fight. Even worse is he the shameful death because he was killed by, by Muhadib's woman. And therefore, there would be less challengers, and there had been less challengers because of this. So, and then we get a flashback. Boom. We're in the tent. He hears the cry of Nightbird, which starts grounding him into reality again. He's currently in a spice dream and he's losing grip on reality, losing himself to the metaphysical place outside of all physical limitations. This is where the Fremen believe Muhadib actually lived in the, this nether world. In the landscape of myth, he could not orient, orient himself and say, I am because I am here. Because he's everywhere. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he's having a hard time just being being grounded. Right. I mean, I have a hard enough time when there's a Muhadib in my house. <laughs> I can't imagine my super consciousness becoming unhinged from reality. <laughs> yes. And I'm complaining. <laughs> All right, then we get the last big vision. Yeah. Here, he remembers that his mother was once said to him, the people are divided in how they think of them. These were the words of Lady Jessica, his mother, now a full reverend mother of the Fremen. Jessica was fearful of the religious relationships between himself and the Fremen. Paul knew this. She didn't like the fact that both people of Siech and Graben referred to Muhadi, Muhadib as him. Him. He's he's being elevated. Right. It's like capital H him, right? Right. Yeah. It's it's oh, he is coming. He did this. So he's he's being yeah, and then of course everybody, all the Fremen are eating up everything he says because he's like a prophet at this point in time, and he's gonna lead them into victory. But Jessica also never approved of Paul's relationship slash marriage to Cheney, even though Cheney had birthed an Atreides son. She didn't approve of Cheney, but also didn't flat out reject the child or his mother. And so we get this conversation between the two of them where Jessica kind of says that she's self-conscious about her own ability to be a mother because of Aaliyah, who is now two. Hmm. Now, 
Do you remember what happened to Aaliyah in the womb when she when Jessica took the water of life? Yeah, she was uh, changed. Something different happened because of the experience that Jessica was having, and then the the old Reverend Mother, like when their consciousness was their conscious were together um, they like spotted the little baby consciousness and that whole situation kind of messed up not not I don't know if it messed her up but it, it did something to change her so she's a little she's a little funky she's a little different she's a little different uh, Paul knows why Alia is different even though Jessica still protests that he knows nothing of the matter. She's still a little, because again, Paul kind of understand what Jessica goes through. Yeah. And, and Aaliyah, but not really like he's got the future vision, but not like pure past. She's got all this lineage of past everybody in the generation. She genetic memory. She can pull from. Right. Um, and he sees nothing unnatural about them or his mother or his little sister. Yeah. Paul knows what's, he's like, I know what it's like to be a monster. It's okay. Oh, Paul knew that this was real. This was not the imperfect vision that was changed by the twisting out of time's own birth. This was a grounding point and bits and pieces of solid reality began to drip through his dreamlike state. And then he knew suddenly where he was. He was in a desert camp. Cheney was nearby. Ah, Cheney, his soul, his sihaya, sweet as a desert spring. She'd come up from the deep south. And then he remembers a Fremen song of two lovers. The rhythm, like the drag of dunes against the feet. Which is funny because the, the Fremen really don't have rhythm. So I thought that was interesting. So I was like, how are you supposed to sing this with like no rhythm? Like it was like sing this song with like every other well, thing yeah i mean i kind of okay let me see if i can find it so um and she's saying a song and the walking song it's rhythm like the drag of the dunes against the yeah okay so it's like the i don't know i can't put like a tune to it or anything but it's like tell me of thine eyes like that's like an unnatural kind of walking sound and i will tell thee of thy heart you know blah, 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 blah. like the way that the syllables kind of fall could be like how you're supposed to walk on the sand that's kind of how i saw it maybe i'm just a, a crazy person you're definitely a crazy person okay. uh, alan from youtube says that um it could relate to the opening quote maybe that that wanting of perfect nature in the background. So, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe that's a thing. Um, so yeah, he remembers this Fremen love song and then he hears somebody playing the Balisette, which automatically reminds him of who? Gurney Halleck. And, and he knows Gurney is alive. He's seen his face in the smugglers, but he can't do anything about it because this could be Harkonnen bait. And then that could unearth the fact that the Harkonnens would know he's alive and like right. kill all their advantage. So he can't do anything. Right. But the ballast that's not being played by Gurney in the situation is being played by Chat. Chat. Captain of the Fadiken. 
the Muhadib's death commanders. So now Muhadib has run, has become this iconic religious leader warrior that has death commandos that will follow him into anything. And they're, they're like, they have a name and they are known and they are feared. Mm-hmm. So like they, they like would, a Sardaukar would do nothing compared to these guys. These guys are right. incredible. So, and then Paul remembers where he is. They're in the desert beyond Harkonnen patrols. And Paul is here to walk the sands. He's there to lure a maker and mount him. And then, and that, and therefore in doing that, he will be entirely Fremen. So sick. So that's how you'll be officially adopted into full Fremenhood if you would call it. And then, yeah, that's, he's got to do that thing. He remembers a quote from Stilgar and he says, you must ride the sand in the light of day that shy Halud shall see and know you have no fear. Thus we turn our time around and set ourselves to sleep this night. So it's probably like the ritualistic quote, because usually they would walk during the night, but here they have to sleep during the night in the dunes, wait, and then Paul is going to go find a maker and ride him for the first time or die. Oh my gosh. Those, yeah, he has two options. Right. Or you could die. You yeah, know, no big deal. All those big teeth just coming at you, just swallow you whole, or maybe like you like miss the landing point and you just get like smushed by it. <laughs> Who knows? There's lots of ways to die by worm. Yeah. This is where Paul kind of sits up. Cheney's in the tent with him and she kind of hears him moving. And so he's, she says, it's not yet light, beloved. Sihaya, you call me Desert Spring today, but I am the Sayadina who watches to make sure the lights are made. So Paul and he kind of flirt in the tent right before he leaves. There's this like really funny line where he was like, um, oh gosh, I gotta find it. I underlined it because I was like, that's a pickup line right there. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're talking back and forth. And then, hold up, let me find it real fast. Do, 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 do. They're talking. He knows the peril. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he tightens up his still suit. And Paul tells Cheney, you told me once in the words of Qatar Alibar, he said, you told me, woman is thy field. Go then to thy field and till it. <laughs> I just love that. Woman is thy field. Go till thy field, boy. Go get it. <laughs> he agrees. I am the mother of thy firstborn. Like, you did a good job. You tilled the field. You planted the seed. You got it good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. I couldn't get over that. Okay, here we go. So, <laughs> um, so he leaves the tent after they're done flirting. And, and he says he can still smell the pre-spice mass, which means a maker is really, really close. He knew the peril that he would face today. Every Fremen had faced it. And most, and all the Fremen that are there, because his death commandos are there with him. Um, 
they're all giving him isolation so he could prepare for this like monumental moment. It's like he's like Fremen bar mitzvah or something like he's going to become a man now because they usually do. (laughs) They use because usually like Fremen like 12 years old do this. So he's like, all right, I got this. He like psychs himself up. It must be done today. Even though the old men sent their sons to be trained by Muhadib, old men sat in councils with him and followed his every plan. Even the smallest and meanest Fremen could do the thing he could not do. And because of this, he had not done. Yeah, he had not done it yet. And because he hasn't done it yet, he can't travel south to be with the women and children unless he rides the worm like a reverend mother or like the sick or the wounded. They like put him on this big thing and lift him up. So he's still still like not a man, right? That's not what the warrior duke leader of the Fremen would ride a worm. Right. Okay, I have a question. Because it says a couple times, I think, the 20 thumper journey to the south. Yeah. So does that mean you have to catch and ride 20 worms to get there? Yes. That's super crazy because they can they can go for a for a while i'm assuming right yeah depending how big it is so um the bigger ones can go longer distances because they're older and they have more like traction and whatnot and so um but yeah so you you ride the worm and you're on top of it and you have um yeah and so you go until it gets tired and it like stops and then you just hop off and while it like rests, you like call another worm and another worm comes and you ride that one. Wow. So it's a 20 thumper journey to get to the south. times you have to do this thing that he's like terrified of doing once. Yes. So you have to be able to do this once in order to like be a part of this journey. Right. Jeez. So Paul was like in this moment, he sees this weird parallelism. If he could master the worm the strength among among the Fremen would hit like a fever pitch. Right. If he mastered his inward eye, his prescience, that also carried a measure of command because he could know exactly what to do and when and how to navigate all of the possibilities. Right. Like Mentat on steroids. But he was still having trouble mastering this inner eye. As we saw earlier when he had these flashbacks, he he couldn't know where, what was happening when. And the differences in the ways he comprehended the universe continued to haunt him. There was, there's accuracy, but it was all, as much as it was accurate, it was also inaccurate. So he could never really tell what was real and what was still to, could be, it could be changed. The now itself where he was living had its own life. It grew with subtle differences. He could never tell what was still going to happen. And right. that and that terrible purpose still remained. That thing deep down from chapter one that's like wanting to rise up is still always there. Yeah. That race consciousness, the that that like ever pushing forward still remained. And over all of it still loomed the bloody wild jihad. So he's trying to stop this, but he doesn't, it's just still always there. Right. Okay. So just, just, just for my understanding, he sees the future possibilities. 
And they're all kind of jumbled because every little decision changes the path a little bit. Um, and when he, when he gets to those moments that he's seen in the future, it's all slight, like it's all, it all seems slightly different every time that he gets to, to a present moment that he's seen before. Right. Yeah. So far that we've seen every time that he's been there, it's always been slightly different. So if he masters the inner eye, he would then come to a present moment that he has seen exactly as it is. Right. The past would be, the future would look like the past. Right. There would be no variables. Okay. It would be all accurate. He could know, he could be blind walking around and never hit anything because he would know exactly where he needed to be. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's where that's ultimate goal here. So Chani comes outside and she joins him and they like have this moment and she can see that he's obviously still distracted. So she pulls out her famous line, which she says, tell me again of the waters of thy birth world, Usul. Like trying to distract him. Yeah. Paul sees what's happening and is like, no, no, I'm just, can you talk, please? I don't hear, I don't want to talk about my feelings right now. So you can, can you please talk? <laughs> and so he tries to get her to explain what it was like in this Southern Sietches, because that's where he wants to go. He wants to go there. He wants to rest. He wants to recuperate, be with women, be with his mom, his little sister, and do that. And Chani says it's boring without the men there. And that their son, Leto II, is the delight of his mother's eye and Alia's eye. They both love him. Paul asks about Alia and if the people have accepted her because she's not a normal child. And Chani replies that this is a thing to be discussed at another time. Let's not talk about it. Like This is going to be a deeper conversation. You have a big thing ahead of you. I don't want you to worry about that. All tries to argue because he's just trying to stay in the present moment at this point. And Cheney says that lots of women do not understand Alia's strangeness. Yeah. And then Paul says, like, he says, is there trouble? And he's remembered he's had pressing visions of there being trouble over Alia. So he's concerned. Right. Aaliyah. And Johnny says many of the older women have banded together and they've appealed to Reverend Mother to like exercise this demon from Aaliyah, quoting scripture, suffer not a witch to live among us. To which, of course, Lady Jessica, who knows everything at this point and been trained in everything, just quotes scripture back to them, tries to explain why Aaliyah is different. But of course, they don't understand the whole thing. Yes, there will be deep trouble because of Aaliyah. Wind blows among the sand, dry lightning streaks across the sky in this pre-dawn light. The men are starting to, to move around the camp and striking it. They're getting ready to move. He remembers something his dad used to say. He said, give as few orders as possible. Once you've given an order on a subject, you must always give order on a subject. So there's this moment he remembers his dad and his dad's wisdom. The Fremen knew this rule instinctively. They knew what to do and how to take care of themselves. Right. Paul knew about the many alternatives of today, but his imperfect vision continued to plague him. 
the more he resisted his own terrible purpose and fought against the wild jihad, the greater the turmoil that wove through the prescience. His entire future was becoming like a river hurtling towards a chasm. He, he, every time he tried to do something positive, push thing like pushed forward. Still are appropriate. Chani steps aside because you need to record what's going to happen today. Right. Today is a big day. Stilgar approaches carrying the Atreides green and black banner on a staff. This banner was already a legend in the land. Paul, as he's walking up, Paul thinks to himself, I cannot do the simplest thing that a being legend. Every move I make today will be recorded. Whether I live or die, it is legend. But I must not die. I must find a way to stop the jihad. <laughs> Stilgar plants his staff in the sand beside Paul and says the ritual words. They denied us the hajj. Chani had taught Paul what to say in return. So he says, who can deny a Fremen the right to walk or ride where he wills? I am Naib, Stilgar said, never to be taken alive. I am the leg of death I am a leg of the death tripod that will destroy our foes. They do this ritual thing. There's silence. And Paul thinks to himself that the Fremen were people whose whole existence consisted of killing. A whole group of people lived in rage and remembered grief. They never once considered anything else until the Atkinds infused them with something else. A dream of a better future. Right. Good old kinds. Doing what he can. That old ecologist wants to experiment on a planet. Use the people. Stilgar as a friend steps closer, kind of like bends down into Paul's ear and whispers like, remember what I told you. Do simply and directly. Nothing fancy. Among our people, we ride the maker at the age of 12. You're 18 now. You don't need to impress anyone. We all know you're brave. We've seen you fight. All you need to do is call a maker and ride him. And Paul's like, yeah, 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 I, okay, I remember, yeah. Stilgar pulled out a thumper, giving it to Paul. I prepared this thumper myself. It's a good one. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul takes the thumper, and then some. another Fremen down the line has, has his maker hooks. I liked his name. Could you, could you pronounce his name? No, no, I purposely called him the Fremen because I didn't want to butcher his name. Wait, I'm already wait, being... I'm already being called out everywhere about butchering people's names. Ah, who cares? We're you having, do it. We're all having a good time. Where's his name? Where's his name? Where's the, what's, his, what's his name? Tell me yeah, again like about the birth world. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> a bantas. Stilgar approaches. Uh, all right, I got it. Shishakli. Shishakli. Yeah, yeah. They said, said it perfectly. I know. I'm really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So Stilgar calls out, Call the big maker, Usul. Show us the way. <laughs> Paul heard Stilgar's words, half ritual and half of that of really, 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 really concerned. Friend, which makes this warms my little heart that Stilgar cares for Paul this much. <laughs> In that instant, the sun peeked over the horizon. It was time. Paul saluted the green and black flag in ceremony as it just 
was limply standing there. Was it one he of turned, those? Yeah, it was one of the well, yeah from the from the trailer. He probably like did the thing with the chest and the head situation. He turned towards the dune Stilgar had mentioned to go to. Paul walked toward the Fremen carrying his maker hooks. He accepted them in the left hand, as Ritual suggests he do. They are my own hooks, the Fremen said. They have never failed. Why does he why does he sound like Gollum? <laughs> he's he is a he's a Fadaiken. He is he has one purpose. <laughs> Sounds like a gremlin. <laughs> Paul nodded. <laughs> He now stood alone on the sandy ridge, only the horizon in front of him. Stooping down, he planted the dumper deep into the dune. Paul looked up. Once he passed his test, he could ride to the south to rest and restore himself. Stilgar had explained that the worm could come from any direction. So you must watch. Stand close enough to mount it, but not too close that the worm engulfs you. Right. Makes sense. Paul breathes and with an abrupt decision reaches down and pulls the thumper's latch. Lump, 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 lump. He could hear, he could hear Stilgar's words in his head. You may often hear the Magar before you see it. Listen carefully. And then Tani's words echo in his mind. When you take your stand along the maker's path, you must remain utterly still. You must think like a patch of sand, become a little dune in your very essence. So he's perfectly still, crouched down, probably got the hood over him, just watching. Slowly, he scanned the horizon, listening, watching. Slowly, faintly, from the southeast there came a whisper, a distant hissing. He saw the outline of the creature's track against the dawn light. And then he realized he had never before seen a worm this large. He had never heard of a maker of this size. The rise of the sand wave at its cresting head was like the approach of a mountain. Oh my gosh. This is not ever. This is nothing I have ever seen in any vision or in life. Paul thought, and in that moment, he is completely present in the here and now. He hurried along the path. So he like he sees it coming. He like hurries to make his like spot, and then he like crouches down again, and he's one hundred percent caught up in the rushing needs of this present moment which is probably the first time he's been completely present uh, in probably for the last two years, probably since right. maybe his fight with Jameis. He's just like completely in the here and now. Yeah. Yeah. I would say since, since they left Eric. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, this is the, the, some the worm coming out of him this big makes everything it just dwarfs everything. Bananas. Um, sorry. And that that ends chapter 40. We're done. That that's the cliffhanger. What's gonna happen? Is the, is the worm gonna engulf him completely? 
Oh my I gosh. Just stop right there. Right. I, I, I would like to say uh, that doesn't seem likely because it doesn't seem likely, but I also have no idea what's going to happen. And Frank could honestly pull any kind of random crap. It was like <laughs> the chapter, the next chapter that talks about Paul is like, uh, Paul watched the worm come up and it just ate his ass. Like it just <laughs> took him out. And now we go back to, to the Harkonnen, you know, like anything really could happen. So I have no idea. Yeah. Next, next chapter will be a Harkonnen chapter. We won't know what's going to happen next. We're just going to just leave it. Cliffhanger. What's going to happen? Right. Bum, bum, um, bum. I would like, I would like to point out the fact that I've been watching, like while I read, I've been playing this like Dune ambiance video. <laughs> Okay, and yeah, yeah. The the background of it is literally Paul standing on a dune with a thumper and like the biggest worm coming out that like takes up the whole background of the shot or whatever. And I'm like complete I was just completely unaware that that was like the moment that I was about to read about. And I've been looking at it for months. Had no idea if it was like fan art or if it was like a real moment or like what it was. And so I posted in the Discord, LOL, that I've been looking at this thing for months now. And here we are in a book reading that exact moment, you know? <laughs> ah, the worms. Golly. Whew. Yeah. So I think it's this is the chapter where Paul becomes present again. Finally happens. He gets there. That's nice. It is nice. Uh, all right well um thank you as always we will see everybody in the next chapter please find us on twitter um at reading dune we're just you know having a good time there posting dune gifts that's what we do um you can email us at reading give me again favorite moments so far what's what's what, what do you like what do you dislike how should we actually pronounce the names we're this far in that i really don't care though yeah um, if you're really upset about uh, our pronunciation how about you send in a video or an audio file telling us how to pronounce all the things oh yeah we'll play it on the show we'll just be that guy to just put it there <laughs> <laughs> um and as always you can join evan on the discord yeah. right he just you know hangs out there when he's working on marketing stuff and Look at all the cool things. Any cool things happening on Discord? Um, I mean, lots of cool things are always happening on the Discord. We just hang out. Sometimes we talk about our day. Sometimes uh, we have uh, little video chats where we talk to each other and our friends. It's, it's all about the tribe. So whatever happens within the tribe is always a good time. Yeah, so we're about to end this episode. Jump on Discord and talk about what you guys think of this chapter yeah so we will see you there and as always my friends stay spicy stay spicy everyone peace, peace.